Welcome to Dumb and Awful. This is Brett at Relentless Board. This is Rob at Dumb and Awful. And with us this week, we have Nate from What a Hell of a Way to Die. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I think that's what I'm supposed to say anytime I guest on a podcast. And so this one is no exception. <laughs> Thank you very much for having me today. What's your at on Twitter? It's at In These Deserts. Uh, so we're going to do some veteran chat. For those who don't know, uh, A Hell of a Way to Die is one of the few lefty veteran podcasts that exists. And they have the dopest merch. They do have the dopest merch. Nate, uh, I did not know this. Like Brett, Brett has listened to your pod for a while because, you know, it's a veteran pod. I, I've started listening more recently, but I have had your merch for a while now uh, without really? connecting the two. Yeah. On my desk at work has been a mug that says, I'm sorry if my Marxism offends you. Your bourgeois bootlicking offends me more. So I literally had a corporate job before I, I went to doing podcasting full time. And I just designed that on the sly in my fucking corporate office. Like, like oh, I'm doing a, a thing for some promo materials. And actually, like, yeah, I was designing that logo. So thank you very much. That, that, that means a lot because Francis and I have, have basically homebrewed most of our merch. Uh, there are a couple artists we've worked with in the past, but like by and large, it's just us coming up with a dumb idea and, and trying to take it to the next level. Um, it, for being in the military, you might get a joke out of this. Uh, Francis is currently working on one that has the specialist shield, except it's got an anarchist symbol on it and says no NCOs, no masters. So I'm looking <laughs> like forward to some, for, for that one, hopefully getting, it, getting some numbers. It's a world where we, we can share Dodge Mustang leases as we feel free. <laughs> as long as you don't violate the non-aggression principle, everybody can fuck everyone's wife. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, the other one I love a lot is your I'm deeply conflicted about my military service <laughs> merch. Yeah. Well, there was one that I made that I, I was hoping would do similar numbers and it hasn't, which is slightly disappointing, but I get it, which is a uh, similar concept of like cool guy fucking, you know, moto t-shirt with the the shiny font and like uh, this one has like a drawing of a snake on the back in the back of it but it says VA disability universal basic income for warriors but no one seems to like it as much which I mean I get it's you like a what? niche joke it, but it, it's because uh, if it's actually just earnest that's <laughs> yeah, actually that's, I, that actually would be an improvement to a lot of people's lives and that's I not mean, really fun T-shirt stuff you yeah know? that's true I mean it, to it's be like, fair it, it's it's a fucking lifesaver for me so there you have it that there was yeah. like a uh, um, a, a thread about uh, like tooth care and mental health that like went viral on the left the last couple of days. And I, I also listened to an episode you did about how, you know, in the military, they make you go to the dentist every year yep, and yep. how that, that form of socialized medicine seems to be taking care of our soldiers fine. So when this thing went viral, maybe it's saying something about a need that could, but isn't being met. And this tiny increase in quality of life would mean a lot to a lot of people. That's true, but not like t-shirt stuff. I think that's yeah. kind of what's going on with your merch there. Yeah, I mean, with, it's, that, with that one. Well, well yeah, and, and I, I think I, it's crazy too because I think the thing about it with with dentistry, for example, or medical care is that everyone complains like, oh, well, it's you know, it's not great. And it's like, yeah, but it's it, it kept you alive when you were in the military. It kept your teeth from fucking rotting out of your head. It's like, in the grand scheme of things, that's what most people need. Like. It, they don't people aren't suffering because they're like oh my dentist is too rough when he does a cleaning they're suffering because they don't have a fucking dentist because they can't afford it and it's like the idea that that you know you're like whoa my uh, things were impersonal while I was like yes what in the military isn't impersonal but at least you had healthcare <laughs> you know it's like i've had to line up behind 200 dudes to get a shot of fucking antibiotics in my ass the shot yeah. had been left the, the shot had been left in a truck overnight in november in georgia and so it was like getting peanut butter shot into your ass meat like it was terrible but i mean yep. it kept me from getting infections when i was in ranger school so there you have it it's literally called the peanut butter shot yeah we had to get that too that's a lot of fun oh uh, yeah that's yeah. my favorite part of basic the like all right wake up early march to the medical center you're gonna they're gonna take your blood and we're gonna strap you in because half you idiots are gonna pass out and then <laughs> the rest of you are gonna walk down a line and it's just a line of people with needles stabbing you in various arms <laughs> and then ending with this giant antibiotic shot in your ass so you yep. can't sit for a day or two afterwards there's <laughs> we, assembly, assembly line medical care. It's incredible. Yeah, I mean, what's, what's, great, what's amazing is we did that in the uh, in the first day or the second day of Darby, which is like the the field portion of the first phase of Ranger School. Oh, and sure. I, we all know, and I we all say, know Darby. We all know. Darby. And I would say the next day, the next day after getting the ass shot, they had us doing the stupid obstacle course. So, needless to say, a lot oh, of people's ass, up. a lot of people's asses were sore. Was... Brett, sorry, I just before we go on. Mm -hmm. Um. 
you know, I, I want to listen to veterans. That's very important to me, as everyone knows that. <laughs> everyone knows <laughs> that that's important to me. Um, but so I have a character. I just have one character this week, and it's not really like army related, but it has the word army in it. So this is um, <clears throat> this is a teenage K-pop stan uh, accidentally making it awkward on birthright. Okay. <laughs> I'm just saying fucking BDS needs an army. <laughs> army is the name of the BTS. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's amazing. <laughs> Thank you for your time. I will now listen to veterans. <laughs> Are you a K-pop fan, Nate? Oh, uh, no, it's just amazing to me because, you know, I, I lived in Korea both as military and civilian for almost two years and... I fucking hate it, and I, I can't understand why it's popular. Uh, at one point, we got strong arm. We had mandatory fun where we had to go to a K-pop concert on Camp Casey because they're like this. This the stands can't be empty, and it was like this. That fucking this, rules. That's the power of K-pop, bitch. And Get it, in line. And it, yeah, and sit it was down. Watch Jenny fucking strut. It was it was it was when it was crayon pop that were performing and like it was like when they had their big hit and the song the song is literally called jumping and they're all wearing bicycle helmets and just jumping up and down. And we're like, I was like, how is that different from Air Force basic training? <laughs> I was like, I'm 29 years old. What the fuck am I doing here? But I mean, all the the Kratuses, the Korean army augmentees were like, they were loving it. They were into it. But I mean, yeah, uh, K-pop's not, I don't know. It's, it, but it's weird. I always assumed it would never be popular because it seemed so just fucking terrible. But BTS has proved that wrong. So, I mean, just, just by saying that Korean, Korean pop music has ever been terrible at some point, that your show is now going to drop massively in iTunes ratings. But, I mean, that's just the well, way that it all, goes. First the show would never say that K-pop is terrible. K-pop's <laughs> delightful. Uh, and even if it was, yeah, we're pro-K-pop. The stance of dumb and awful is K-pop is awesome. Rob and I went to a show like two months ago. <laughs> it, it doesn't matter how good or not good K-pop is. It's been a constant level of good. It's just that the world around it has gotten so shitty that now it becomes a relatively fine thing that can kind of help you get through like neoliberal hell world one day at a time if you play it loud enough directly in your AirPods or whatever. So uh, fuck me. K-pop's here to stay as we slide into the abyss. Anyway, what's the fun <laughs> story from basic training, guys? <laughs> So you're in the army, you're an infantry officer? That's correct, yeah. I was in for seven years. Uh, I signed a long-ass contract in college because I was an idiot and I didn't know what I was doing. Did yep, you do it because you right. could pick your uh, your branch? Because I know for a while there, if you went through OCS in the army, when they actually needed people, they'd let you like pick your top one or top three. So but, like, I, you had to go long, you had to do a long contract. Yeah, I, opt, I opted to do that, but my, I wound up not needing it. And so instead of releasing me from the contract, my battalion commander was like, just put me on a list for people to do the graduate school option, uh, which mm -hmm. at the time I was like, oh, cool, that'll be great. I, I want to stay in that long anyway. And then the it looked like the program had gotten scuttled because like the paperwork disappeared. But so I decided to get out of the army at four years. And then literally as I was getting ready to prep my paperwork to apply to get out. So this would have been at the end of 2010 when my original get out date would have been June 2011. I got this email about the army career satisfaction program. And I went and checked my ORB and it said, uh, you're now obligated till 2014. So I was like, oh. well, fuck. <laughs> uh, wow, great. I'm, I'm excited. Um, so then I, I went to Special Forces Selection and went through the SF pipeline. And then I had a crisis of conscience in the middle of the SF qualification course because I was supposed to go to seventh group and be in the unit that trained the Contras. And I realized that like in my heart, oh, I, wanted, I wanted to train the Sandinistas. And so I was like, yeah, fuck this shit. So I quit. I did the whole bell ringing shit. Uh, and the Is army that the decided you roll around in the mud pit and then you have to puke outside the mud pit. And there's logs <laughs> and all they just shit. basically, basically I just, I just went to the head shed. I was like, hi, I want to quit. And they let me go. Uh, but then the, when I went back to infantry branch, they were like, they weren't exactly, they, 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 they weren't going to give you a good assignment when you had been out of infantry branch and out of their control. So they gave me the assignment nobody wanted, which was, uh, first brigade, second ID at camp Casey, Korea. Uh, so I did that for my last year of the army and then I got out. That's pretty cool. So, I always looked at the, uh, it's funny as you get older, like army OCS was always my like fallback. Brett too, apparently he just actually <laughs> fell into it. Uh, <laughs> but for me, it was just like, you know what? I could run. Okay. I'm a big guy. So hopefully I never see combat, but if I sign the right contract, I can do like, you know, fucking air defense or some bullshit thing. 
And really, how else am I going to get a sweet BMW M3 CSL 2007 <laughs> to 2009? And so that was always in the back of my head. I guess I'm too old now, right? Like, how old can you be to be an officer? I think, I mean, it really depends on, on the current circumstances, but I, it's probably unlikely that if you're over, I'm going to guess like 36 or 37 that they're going to let you in. I mean, it's possible, but it's unlikely. If you're prior service, though, if you've been in the military in any capacity, though, they're a little more forgiving about letting people in. Because I've, I've had some folks who are out for a while who came back in and were like, why is this first lieutenant 42 years old? And it's like, oh, yeah, because he was like he was like in the Gulf War or some shit because he can't tell you about it. That's why <laughs> that's something that that fucking there's no heavy vehicles in Fairbanks uh, guy over here. It's called OPSEC. Maybe you should look into it. <laughs> yes, right. I've shared that information with Hezbollah now. Yes. <laughs> Be careful what you say on your pod. Can you imagine the Hezbollah guy who has to listen to irony podcasters to see if they reveal anything important about U.S. military? I'm sure Hezbollah has their own irony podcasters. (laughs) Guys, what if what if what if a Sunni guy was retarded? And he was like, "God damn it!" It's 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 holding your cum town. (laughs) But 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 cum town in Arabic would be bait. I'll come. (laughs) <laughs> there's just like two women in hijabs they're like kafir scare and you're not even really sure they know anything about Allah <laughs> yeah fuck's sake that'd be amazing <laughs> get on it caliphate what are you good for <laughs> uh, I was gonna say did you you joined the army while you were in college. Was that to get the money for school? Yeah, yeah. So so both my parents were in the army. Uh, my mom and dad, that's how they met, actually, was they were both army officers. My mom got offered a direct commission while she was in college. My dad went to West Point. And so I grew up around it until my dad was in until I was 14. My mom got out when I was a little kid. And in 2002, um, my parents weren't doing super great money-wise. And they're like, well, you should find a way to pay for school because otherwise, you know, we can't pay for it. And I saw a thing for Army ROTC and Navy ROTC, to be honest. And I applied for the Navy and they, they're like, yeah, fuck you. Your grades aren't high enough. But the Army's like, wait, you, you play sports? Like, yes, you can be in the Army. And so I got offered a, a, a scholarship to, to Indiana University to um, to do Army ROTC there. And so I accepted it. Um, and, and to be honest with you, I always thought that by the time that I got out of the military, the war would be over. Because, I mean, so 9-11 happened when I was a junior in high school. Um, But by 03, I sort of figured that it would would just be done, that they would get out of Iraq, they would get out of Afghanistan. I mean, we seem to have the whole neocolonialism thing on, on lock at that point. Um, so, uh, you know, Paul Joseph Watson voice, imagine my shock when it's 2007 and I'm commissioning and it's like, oh yeah, y'all are all going to Iraq or Afghanistan. Um, but I, I used, yeah, ROTC to pay for school. And then, um, I mean, I stayed the one, the one positive side of being locked into that longer contract is that while I was in, they passed the new GI bill. And so had I gotten out at four years, I wouldn't have gotten any GI bill benefits, but I had to do seven years. So I got GI bill. I used that to go to grad school in New York. And that's how I got into this line of work in the sense of like digital media production and stuff like that. Nice. Where'd you go to school? So I actually went to school for creative writing at Brooklyn College, but that's what led to my um, my corporate communications job. And Another Brooklyn podcaster. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so <laughs> thank I, you for I, your I, service. My uh, my my boss actually asked me to like figure out how to do a corporate podcast once a quarter, and I had no idea how to do it. But I just, I mean, I'd been in a band in high school, and so I had like a sort of a basic idea, and so just kind of fucked around with it, and that's that led to me. Uh, well, I mean, that led to me sort of figuring out how to produce stuff, and then obviously me and Francis started hell of a way to die after the election because. Um, I think there was the double whammy of Trump winning and then also seeing the extent to which most military and veterans were just like fascism. Can you fill it into a bowl and I can have you drink out of it? Like we're just <laughs> completely into that shit. So yeah, we, we decided we wanted to talk about being leftists in uniform or leftists, you know, post service. And, uh, and that's led to where we're at now. I love the, I'm living in Brooklyn and someone asked me to do a podcast and you didn't know what you were doing. Just, yeah. just walk out on the street and be like, yo, somebody help me out with this show. Find a white dude with a beard and be like, hey, man, you know how to podcast? Well, yes, I do. Exactly. <laughs> well, a lot of people don't know this, this, but the the, the, the first uh, Brooklyn Reserve unit here actually trains specialists to a lot of skills that they're going to need in Brooklyn once they get out. So, for example, Nate, I'm sure as a specialist, they probably trained you to offer to mentor 
20 uh, something women in audio engineering so they can have their, their podcast sounding really good because that's a big step, but I could come over whenever you're free. That's something <laughs> that you get in the military that you're prepared when you're on the outside. Yeah, I mean, I, I, without, without talking too much shit about Brooklyn and Brooklyn podcasters, um, yeah, so I was there. I mean, I, and uh, I, I got into this, and I think we were, Francis and I were both really surprised at the extent to which uh, What a Hell of a Way to Die got kind of gained traction. And as we, you know, we got a Discord, we started talking to fans more, we got a Patreon, we realized that like most of our fans weren't veterans. I mean, a lot of them are, but most of them were civilians who were like, I'm interested in the military. I'm curious about it. But everything, whenever I look at anything related to veterans or military, it's just like, you know, dudes sticking their dicks in an AR-15 star chamber and then trying to sell me coffee or like canes that I could use to beat Antifa with. (laughs) I saw those. Every time I stick my dick in a gun barrel, I say, good. (laughs) Yeah, but like, like, like you, like you were saying, Rob. Such a specific reference. Most fucking, most fucking veteran shit sucks. It's bad. It's badly made. It's really ham-fisted and stupid. It tends to be really just like weird and intolerant and just like, oh, too many genders. They're all gay. The art reflects the people who made it. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. It's dumber than fuck. And it basically, it's like guys who, yeah, when you were in the back of the truck passing time on a convoy, you, you just told dick jokes nonstop and that was great. But like not everybody, that's a situational thing. That's funny at the time. It's not, if you had recorded that and you played it now, people were like, yeah, this sucks. I don't want to hear it. Same thing with most veteran related content. Yeah. The height of military humor is watching somebody get punched in the dick. I mean... (laughs) Or that, what's that shit? shit. What's that fucking vet TV shit where it's like, ha ha, I abused my spouse in my sleep. Isn't that funny, guys? Like, his whole spiel is that, like, we have dark humor here. He's the guy that's like, guys, we're using sexism to help veterans cope with their trauma. And it's like, (laughs) it's like, all right, um, is there literally anything else in the world that could help veterans cope with their trauma? I don't know. We stop once we got to sexism. But check it <laughs> well, out. Uh, we we also were like, what if we made substance abuse good? What if all your problematic behaviors were actually an identity? This time, not from the <laughs> institution itself. <laughs> yeah, I mean that is that is funny because it's like uh, identity politics is a thing they hate so much, and yet how much of veteran culture is just it's my identity to drink too much and scream at people over dumb shit that doesn't matter. Uh, it's pronounced which- Kabar. <laughs> Funny side note is uh, I re- recently read a book about the troubles in Northern Ireland and one of the the main characters that the book follows uh had basically been a hunger striker and had helped organize bombings in the in London um and then after the war after the the peace settlement she was kind of like fucked up over it because she thought that like they didn't get full you know irish reunification the british still controlled the six counties in the north what was it for like this why did we kill people why did we like go through all this horrible shit and then she tried to get a degree in law but like she just like got mad at her professors and yelled and screamed and showed up to class drunk and i was like wow the irish had the angry veteran on lock before 9-11 this is amazing i didn't realize this is like a tale as old as time but do you understand they used to they used to classify the irish as material (laughs) (laughs) I mean, so needless to say, it's one of those things where you realize that sometimes the thing that's, you know, the, the thing that, that unites you and you, you, I'm sure you know this, Brett, like the stuff that unites you with people who are also in the military sometimes puts you in situations with people who fucking suck and unfortunately oh God, are man. a vehicle for terrible reactionary politics. Pretty much everything that unites me with people is shared suffering and the ability to bullshit about absolutely nothing for hours on end. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, as you know, we can podcast without really sticking to the script because we can just kind of talk about shit. Yeah, it's amazing. That's what the military is. It's a bunch of people standing around bitching before they get fucked up over something nonsensical like the 17 year old got drunk off base and now we're standing out here at five in the morning waiting to get yeah people people ask me sometimes like do you miss it i'm like well i miss some things about you know the sense of purpose and like being really relatively autonomous by the time that i was a captain like people just sort of trusted me with my job and could do whatever the fuck i wanted as long as i got it done but do i miss but exactly (laughs) yeah but do i miss getting screamed at because someone in my formation is wearing the wrong color hat at six in the morning no I really don't miss that shit. And, <laughs> and do I miss being in training where you're beating your face on the gravel at like 9 a.m. on a Monday because someone in another company got drunk? Like, no, I, I really don't care. I don't miss that at all. Yeah, group punishment is definitely one of those things that you never, ever miss. And you never realize how bad it is or like how consistent it is in the military until you're in. And it's just over nothing. You're just always oh, yeah, getting punished over shit. nothing. 
Yeah, I mean, and I, 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 it was weird to me because I knew I needed to get out because by the time that I made the decision to leave when I was in Korea, I mean, I, I waffled a little bit back. I thought like, okay, well, if I stayed infantry, but I went to a different job, maybe that'd be cool. Maybe I would find something else that I liked and I'd stay in, you know, and I wasn't necessarily confident in my ability to like get into grad school programs. But then like people started fucking up in Korea and people started getting in trouble. And I realized that by a certain point, literally even just going to morning formation pissed me off that I had to do it in the first place. And I was like, I've got, I've got to get out of the military. Like I just like if the absolute most basic things annoy me, like there's no way I can stay. I would say, how did you, how did you move left politically over time while you're in? Was that while you're in or after you got out? It's not crazy to think that, uh, you would feel alienated in that position. I mean, that's like getting a job at the dick suck factory and like, everyone here loves sucking these dicks it's weird i don't it's weird i don't like exactly. you joined the imperialism factory and you're like all these people love imperialism uh, this is, yeah so i mean so like huh so i mean I, I think i started to shift left like um through college but then most certainly when i got out uh when i was in the army and i think one of the reasons was that you know, I, I got stationed at Fort Richardson, Alaska. Uh, I was in an airborne brigade there, but, you know, we the base was basically in Anchorage, Alaska. And contrary to popular belief, despite the oil money, Alaska is an incredibly poor state. Most people are not well off in that state. And, you know, universal basic income rules, but Alaska has this very cynical approach to governance, and they're getting even more cynical with these recent cuts they've been doing. But basically their take on governance is, well, we give you $1,000 every year for free. So like, fuck off, you don't need anything else. And so the level of destitution you'll see, especially considering the- um, So Andrew Yang's plan, that's what Alaska's running. Yeah, basically, yeah. You get $1,000 a year um, or you know, per person in your family. I mean, sometimes it's more, sometimes it's less based on oil money. And there's literally one Medicaid-funded uh, rehab in the entire state. Um, they like- Everywhere you'd go in that state, you'd see things that like head starts that were shuttered and, you know, programs that had been funded by the government that are shuttered. Now they're they're, they're defunding the, the state university system. Um, and so you, you saw I, I saw this like weird libertarian paradise. And I was just like, this is this is so cynical. And it's obviously like this. This state is so wealthy. It could be literally it could be Sweden if they wanted it to be. But they don't. They want it to be this pioneer hellhole. And so that was kind of pushing me left on social issues. And then. I went to Afghanistan during the surge um, and, you know, I went there with this idea that Iraq was fucked and Iraq was a, was a lie, but Afghanistan, like we had an opportunity to, to you know, do good. And then I went there and saw that we weren't doing fucking shit that was good. I mean, we were doing, in some cases we were trying, but our understanding of the situation was so superficial and our presence was was basically temporary because, you know, every 12 months you rotate out a new unit. And in most cases, we were making things worse, but lots of people were making money. And, you know, you have only to see the sheer number of, you know, contractors making 300 grand a year and all these huge companies that are making a fuckload of money on the sort of perpetual motion machine of the war that happens to kill people every now and again, or a lot. Um, and so I, I went there kind of liberal-ish, and I was reading books, you know, like by people like Howard Zinn. Um, and then I, I had some experiences as Cuck, an infantryman. Loser. Yeah, exactly. Idiot. I had some, I had some experiences. Horrible as an soundtracks. Infant Sorry. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> they all sound the same. Is it pirates? Is it gladiator? I can't tell. So, so I, uh, I legitimately had some experiences as an infantryman there that, that really kind of, I mean, were like tailor made to destroy any idealism I might have about the military and the I war. Mean, I, I had similar infantry experiences in Alaska in uh, the Fallout 3 DLC. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had to go through a lot of fucking shit to get that ninja armor. Yeah, I mean, so so, so needless to say, I came back and um, I've talked about this a little bit on Hell of a Way, and it's it's a funny, it's a kind of a digression, but it's funny. Is you know, I was always a little bit worried because I mean, I think I'm married, I'm married to a woman, I'm happily married, but I mean, I would identify as bisexual. Um, when I was in, I was like, oh, I, I, if they just got rid of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, I'd be really happy because then I wouldn't have to worry, and I would be like the most motivated soldier in the world. And then I came back from Afghanistan, and they got rid of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, and I was like, oh shucks, I'm uh, glad. Fuck. By the way. Can you get rid of the imperialism and the fucking useless, like, burning bodies in a volcano war that we're fighting? It's like, no, can't get rid of that. And so 
I, it's just weird how my perspective changed that if, if they had let me serve openly in 2007, I would have been like, I am so motivated and I love the army and I'm, I, the army is just me. I'm going to get a big fucking army flag with some eagles on it and put it in, you know, over my fireplace. And then I came back and I was like, actually, we're just churning up bodies in the third world for no reason so that Raytheon can make money. And whether or not you're gay in the military isn't going to change that. So let and me so, just make sure I understand this correctly. You're saying that a little bit of institutional homophobia is actually what pushed you towards the left. <laughs> well, I mean, to, to, to jokingly, uh, yes, you could say that. I think, I think more seriously. Clip this. You know, clip this right here. <laughs> <laughs> had some had some experiences. Like, so I got I got gay bashed when I was in um, infantry basic, and uh, I couldn't go to the cops because I lived on base, and like the dude who did it, like. I had a gun and like could easily have fucking killed me if he wanted to. Um, but if I'd gone to the cops and been like, this guy jumped me, uh, he was my roommate and he found out cause he listened to a phone conversation I was having with a friend. Um, if he, if, if that had happened, like I would have gotten kicked out of the military. So I had to choose like, do you call the cops and get kicked out of the military and stop this guy from potentially murdering you? Or you, do you take your chances with getting murdered? Cause you actually like want to be in the army. And so having had that experience, like it, obviously that's going to sh- like that, that shifts your perspective on, institutional things and like you're the sort of the concept of like rugged individualism that it feels like so much american conservatism hinges on you know what i mean yeah typical e fuck shenanigans you know (laughs) doing some gay bashing you know waving a gun in someone's face etc uh yeah so so needless to say wait until ait to do the hate crime stuff (laughs) (laughs) so needless to say i mean i think that um i think that just experiences that i had personally kind of pushed me that way and then obviously like I think anybody who was in Afghanistan in 2009 could have looked at it and said, this isn't going anywhere. Like we're, this war is, is useless. It's not going to accomplish any of the things we say we want it to accomplish, which change every six months. Anyway, we should yeah. leave and watching it be prolonged and, and, and being there in 2009 or 2000, early 2010, when uh, president Obama gave his speech and he's like, Oh, we're going to stay until 2014. And then just watching that get extended at infinitum like that. I don't know. It, it kind of changes this, you have to be either completely blinkered or just completely disinterested to look at that and be like, oh, yeah, well, I'll definitely spend a career in the military because we're definitely doing good things. It's sad that blinkered is the more charitable option. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's this fucked up. So, yeah, needless to say, I got out. And then, I mean, I think I think when I got out, I was more sort of like centrist lib in a way, like maybe leftish lib. But um, the combination of the 2016 primary and Trump winning and then also seeing working in a, in a corporate job and seeing how corporations just sort of embraced Trump wholesale as soon as it happened. Yeah. And all the shit, all that shit went out the window. It went from like, this isn't who we are to like, oh, well, we'd better invest in concrete companies because he's going to build the wall. Like seeing that shit happen overnight, I was like, okay, liberalism is going to accommodate fascism. And yeah, that made me, that made me push left. And so, um, I mean, I did what everybody did. I joined DSA online. <laughs> I mean, you're a white dude in Brooklyn. Like what else are you going to oh, do? Exactly. What else am I going to do? It's Fuck almost sake. like current market liberalism has absolutely no ethical answer to most people's material conditions and anyone yeah, who isn't blinkered and indifferent is going to funnel towards at the very least the dsa right social democracy because at least that's the first expression of empathy i joined a damn dsa caucus but also i think i started doing some veteran organizing and you know obviously doing the show with francis put me in touch with a lot of other veterans on the left and some some of them are are crankier than others as far as politics go but i think that if anything there certainly seems like there's some momentum behind it And, you know, to be honest with you, the stuff that's kept me doing this is every now and again, you'll get something from someone who's like, hey, man, I like the show. And, you know, it's it's kind of a lifeline to me because I'm like in the 82nd in the in the dick sucking factory all day getting getting hazed and shit. And I realized, like, if I had had something like that, if I had had like a leftist veteran thing that I could have listened to when I was, you know, in my unit or I was at, you know, in Afghanistan or I was, I don't know, fucking deployed to Honduras and, you know, watching them use humanitarian assistance as a means of doing fucking recon- like special reconnaissance on people like maybe i would that have felt a little bit better that doesn't happen that would never happen <laughs> never, i, I never, watched never, a never special report on venezuela from cnn no one's ever used humanitarian aid for reconnaissance it's never happened. Yeah. So it, it, yes, there's zero correlation with us doing med caps, and then the next week, the host nation country is doing a fucking drug raid on places. That never happens. <laughs> One more war crime for Chesty Puller. <laughs> so, I mean, if uh, that's kind of me rambling, but that, uh, yeah, I mean, that hopefully answers your question. 
No, it does. That's interesting to hear. It's always interesting to hear people's process for lefty veterans. I was going to say, it has been really encouraging to find that there's there's dozens of us. Um, no, there's there's a surprisingly <laughs> decent number of lefty veterans. And it's, it is encouraging to know that at least now there's an attempt to reach those people because yeah. I think so many, so much of the reactionary shit among veterans is because those are the only ones talking to them. Yeah, for sure. Right? I listened to your episode that you did, your bonus episode, and I, I definitely agree with the idea that like, if anything, being closed off, leftists being closed off to the, to the concept of even welcoming left-ish veterans almost guarantees that they'll be universally courted by the right who doesn't have a problem with them being in the military and absolutely loves them and their organizational abilities um, to go and, you know, punch punch people in the face and run them over with cars at protests and shit. Oh, yeah. I mean, they just want to use us regardless to go murder other people for them. Right. Like it's just a fucking as in all things, just like when you're in the military, you're just a tool to be utilized to to abuse people that the powerful don't care for. Yeah. It's just for the fascists. It's literally everyone who's non-white. So. Yeah, exactly. And and so I definitely think that there's more of us people there's there's more of an ability for us to connect. Uh, our left politics doesn't terminate at the Democratic Party. It actually goes further. And I think that one of the things that's nice is that even if there isn't necessarily wholesale acceptance amongst, you know, socialist organizers, there's at least enough of us involved in it who don't have to hide the fact that we are in the military, that yeah. you're able to have these discussions and you can maybe draw people in and folks who are already kind of leaning towards, wow, this is fucked up. This can't go on. You might actually coax them into like just paying attention and maybe because I mean, that's the thing is I think one of the weird things about the left is that everyone wants to pretend that they came out of the room, you know, singing the red flag, but everyone's yeah. politics fucking changed over their lifetimes and because of what they've experienced. And like the, the, the same kid who might've been saying dumb Republican talking points when he was 20 might be 29 and all of a sudden like, you know, have something that changes his mind. Maybe not. Maybe just be a racist asshole. I mean, America just runs on that, but some people change. And the idea that like, you want to pretend that everyone's always had perfect politics and anyone who didn't have perfect politics before has to be ostracized seems like a very obvious self-defeating measure. Um, and so it's nice to be able to talk to other people because I really do think that we as veterans can drag other veterans left. Oh, 100%. That, that is my fucking goal at this point. I have so many friends who are still in or who have gotten out that I'm slowly pulling left. And it's honestly, it's going pretty well, mostly because they're... You're starting off at the baseline where they recognize things blow and that the military is garbage, which is a really favorable position to start the conversation with compared to most libs or like professional class libs I deal with where everything in their life has gone relatively well. So it makes no sense to them to move left. Like you're having to appeal to empathy and with veterans, it's like you've been fucked, correct? And they're like, yeah, no, 100 percent. They're like, great. Let's start from that basis yeah. then. Meanwhile, I mean, like, the, the, I haven't really tried as much with guys that I serve with because I was in the unit that um, Bo Bergdahl disappeared from, and there's just so oh, much Jesus. fucking anger. <laughs> yeah, man. I was there. I was I there when goddamn, when Bergdahl walked away. Bergdahl might have walked away because he hated me so much. He's like, fuck that guy. I'm going to go spend <laughs> five years in prison versus deal with that redheaded lieutenant. No, um, there's a lot of like, Afghanistan, anger. Afghanistan, like, 2007. Doom. <laughs> <laughs> it zooms in. It's Bo Bergdahl. It's Nate. And all we hear is the end of, of one conversation thrown off offhanded. And if Ray's not your waifu, you didn't understand Evangelion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Like, so there's a lot of there's a lot of rage and sort of like inchoate anger directed towards whatever. And so most of the guys that I serve with, unfortunately, like I don't talk, I don't, I don't post on Facebook ever. And I see the shit they share and I just have to like mute them because it's all just like anti-immigrant, anti-minority. Just like I deserve, you know, ice cream for the rest of my life. Everybody else is a welfare queen kind of shit. Um, but I do, I have had some people that like I'm friends with and I, I feel as though you can work on that slowly, but surely. I think the big thing is, there's so much of a kind of Praetorian sort of American default setting that wants to center veterans as the only people in the world who deserve any kind of welfare state benefits. Yeah. And that is weird. That's like, it's like weirdly powerful amongst veterans as far as making them, it sort of sets them out with the idea that they're the only people who deserve it and nobody else should have it at all. And getting people to bridge that gap and realize like, actually the world would be better if everyone had it. 
uh, is kind of challenging. But I mean, to be honest, a lot of the dudes that I work with or I worked with, like they think they're being open minded because they they listen to fucking Milo Yiannopoulos. And it's like, well, he's gay. I mean, that makes me a liberal. Right. And it's like, <laughs> oh, that's so fucking <sighs> depressing. <laughs> I was going to say, I do categorize it differently. Like anybody who's staying in, I'm not really going to spend my time on because they're just mm-hmm. got constant indoctrination. Right. Like I can't I can't fight what is. As you know from being in, you're just constantly surrounded by that environment, right? Like, so I'll, I'll put out the podcast. I'll make sure they know I'm available to chat. But, like, those are not the people I'm going to spend a ton of energy on versus the people who willingly got out after a contract or two. Yeah. Because they probably hate the military, which is a pretty good, <laughs> good place start. to start. Yeah. So I got lucky that I had I had this captain. He was cool as shit, and he would uh, bullshit with me, and he and I would tag team harassing the libertarian kid and just make fun <laughs> of him and dunk on him every shift. And so he'd roll around and, and the libertarian kid loved the military. And we'd be like, you know, this is the most socialist organization you can be in in America. And you are totally down for it, bro. Also, like, it's love the, the, the organization that has like the least attention to s- civil liberties. <laughs> like, yes, I Nothing. care about individual rights and individual expression. And that's why I joined the army where someone can legally make me wash my dick. No, I, I thought about habeas corpus for like a, a pretty good while before I fucking nuked that American citizen abroad. Barack Obama, literally peace prize winner. My, my take when we kill 16 year old American citizens accidentally in a drone strike is that their parents should be more responsible. Uh, also, Barack Obama, literally, or his press secretary, rather, but still. Awesome. Uh, you know, that's why he's a hero for libs everywhere. He, he him still and, did the imperialism, but he did it with a cool smile and a joke. Him, it, it's the two hands, and it's him and Kamala Harris, and it's fuck irresponsible parents. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh fuck's sake, yeah. <laughs> um, random, random military questions for you. Uh, what, what is the worst rank or position in the military? I think being a PV2 or a PV3 sucks the most, probably. I mean, because I would say PV1, but you're not really a PV1 that long unless you either are in basic or you you fucked up and got punished. So What are, what are those? Like Just private. E1, E2, okay. E3. I'm saying E2 and E3 are probably the worst. I, I'm not going to be so much of a not self-aware dumbass to say that being an officer is this bad in any capacity, because obviously you get paid more. Um, yeah, but you were an infantry officer in the Army, so that's like an NCO in the Air Force. yeah i mean it's uh it's it sucks regardless but i I think i think being i'm sorry um, nate nate i'm sorry um i know you're trying to have a good humor about this but i don't like this fucking pogue dipshit talking to two ranger tabbed heroes (laughs) no i agree i i I definitely think that uh, you've been very (laughs) this is sort of the training that we perceived when we went to uh the ranger training course I think that our, our our combined experience in regiment and wearing a ranger tab has prepared us for this moment because um, we're gonna we're gonna have to go kinetic. You know that's just the way that it goes sometimes. Here's here's the thing: eleven banger ranger school qualified America's Army thirty six thirty six on the uh, rifle tutorial, and uh, that means I could pick the sniper rifles when playing multiplayer maps. Uh, <laughs> that that fucking America's a, army was so bad. That puts a high ceiling on the amount of kills I can get, and brother, you better believe I was high speed, low drag. Uh, <laughs> it's 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 legitimately unnerving, Rob. I'm not gonna not gonna lie. How much stuff you've managed to like glean from here or there? Like, if you wanted, if you you would be the most successful stolen valor online veteran if you wanted to do that. Buddy, this isn't the first time saying. I'm hearing it, but uh, you know what? I'm not someone who's going to talk about my action. I will, again, America's Army, OPSEC, that's out there in the open. Ranger School's boring because we want you to make a sacrifice if you're going to play that class online. The real thing, <laughs> as a brother, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, exactly. We could talk about it all day over beers, but you know what? We signed those NDAs when we killed in Laden, so. <laughs> I'm already laughing. Brett, uh, uh, you familiar with Metal Gear Solid? Yes. That's damn right you are. Move on. <laughs> uh, so Nate, you'd say the lowest enlisted would be the worst. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that makes sense. I was E3, so I agree. It's terrible. <laughs> I would also say worst as far as like the shittiest fucking humans are first sergeants. First sergeants are universally the worst people in the fucking military. Oh, yeah. They're mean as hell. And, and they're meaner to anyone who's E4 and below for sure. Because they just think that you're, you know, you're uh, repeat failures from kindergarten. And so that's how they're going to treat you. Yeah, for those who don't know, first sergeant is like uh, 
it's upper enlisted. So you've been in forever. You're super indoctrinated. And your job is literally all of the, the military bullshit, the nitpicky bullshit. Your job is to keep that shit together. Uniform shit. That's you. You're the one who's going to scream at people. Uh, did they clean their room? That's you. You're going to scream at yeah. people. So because the kind of person who gets in that job is, you know, a giant piece of shit. And it's also one of the last jobs as an NCO where you're really in front of soldiers all the time. I mean, obviously, sergeant majors are too. But like if sergeant major is pulling his formation together, like something big is going on because he's in charge of multiple companies and each of those companies has a first sergeant. But if you're the first sergeant every day, every fucking day, it's your formation and you're dealing with their bullshit. And so... They, by the time that you've been in long enough to be a first sergeant, you've probably been in 12, 14, 16 years, you know, depending. You just, you've, you've dealt with a lot of privates and a lot of lieutenants and a lot of captains. And uh, it makes people hateful human beings. We'll put it that way. Oh, they're for they're good reason, so I should hateful. think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't be wrong. I mean, I don't, I don't envy them. I don't envy Can having you them. Imagine when I made the. You have to deal with some fucking private smoking and joking Naruto running across your pit. And you're just like, oh my God, I've been here longer than 15 years. I've been through four wives. What am I doing? Legitimately, you're like, I want to be home with my kids who hate me. But instead of having to counsel this soldier why a 21% APR on his Dodge Charger that's used <laughs> is not a good idea. <laughs> oh, and then they get out and immediately go work for the companies who are doing the userist deals. <laughs> or like for Raytheon or some shit, like running a class on how to use a tow missile. Yep, that one's pretty common too. All right, you yeah, want to do uh, it's just, wait, it's just Let's do it. <laughs> this is the dumbest joke I've ever... No, I can't even do it. No, I'm going to do it so you know what the jokes I don't do look like. Ready? <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's do it. It's an 05 in a darkened room. You're standing in front of the projector. It's a PowerPoint deck. There's a photo, right? It's a guy in a skeleton mask and like a Grim Reaper outfit with a uh, Indiana Jones whip over his head. And he's rented a convertible Corvette, right? And he's standing outside of it. Uh, and he, it, he appears to be dancing, right? He's holding the wheel, but he's outside of it appearing to be dancing. And there's that photo. And at the top, it just says slide one of 400 memes and injuries on base. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I legitimately, when I got to Fort Richardson, they made us watch like an in-processing video. And it was like a VHS like camcorder video of a woman getting kicked to death by a moose because she trapped trying to get up and the moose just like running circles and back leg kicking her over and over again every time she had to get up. And just, literally this NCO was like, listen up, soldiers, those moose are no joke. Just the sound of the AC clanging away and fucking Fort Benning as the presenter tries to figure out what batteries work for the, the clicker to get to the next slide. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was like, like he's pressed the button and the batteries went out and it started playing ACDC's Thunderstruck. And it's supposed to be a video of like artillery pieces going off. But instead, it's just a blank projector screen with Thunderstruck blasting over and over again. Guys, I'm sorry. What are you going to do? It's automatically... So what's, hap what's happening is it's synced to my phone. This is giving me fucking flashbacks, man. I'm selling Again, you. the Hezbollah <laughs> operative with like the big headphones on is just like, I don't fucking understand any of this. <laughs> <laughs> Anything technological is so, so fucking poorly developed in the military. It's, it's incredible. They're on IT infrastructure from, like, early 2000s. It is funny that, um, like, Al-Shabaab intelligence people are, like, uh, modifying the main board of a SIM card in order to make it a, a one-time key with a, a disposable pad that somebody's going to pick up from, from a dead drop. And meanwhile, intelligence officers in America are like, well, uh, I can do PowerPoint and Excel, which makes me a dual threat. <laughs> Well, yeah, exactly. Like, like all Shabab or fucking, I don't know. Boko Al Nosra Haram. is just fucking like creating new electronics, and they're 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 building devices out of Nokia cell phones. Meanwhile, like Air Force intelligence guys are having to brief people on what exactly the Naruto run actually is. So, so <laughs> let me just get. We'll just browse to our training today. Okay, uh, there's landmines, Lolita leadership. Here we are. Okay, so let's... <laughs> <laughs> the Air yeah. Force has a consistent issue with the UAVs. Because they're so poorly defended. And I keep looking uh, down girls' skirts, you big baka. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 
I ran I ran hacked one easily, but they had a whole issue where somebody plugged in a USB once and all of the UAVs went down for a few days. I had a commander who uh, was a huge dumbass. At, at NTC, he, one company was doing a Raven flight, like a handheld or hand-deployed company element UAV. <laughs> and um, they had done everything they were supposed to do. They had submitted all the paperwork. They had put up the restricted operating zone, everything like that. But because Ravens, even though they're worth a quarter million dollars, are designed by idiots at like fucking whatever defense contractor... They all they all operate on the same default frequency and like it's a pain in the dick to change their frequency like their their communication frequency between like the control unit and the aircraft itself. So nobody fucks with it or at least at that time nobody was fucking with it. They just you know they basically were like well in in this inner battle space you can only have one of them running at once. And so moron commander was like hey we should fly the Raven and just like didn't notify anyone did just just threw it up in the air and like launched it. And when they turned it on, it sent out a. a signal to talk to the aircraft that interrupted the signal for the other one that was actually flying and it just fell out in the middle of the california desert and they never found it <laughs> awesome i like to imagine that's a quarter million dollars quarter million dollars it cuts that to some, for somebody's education. Shit, some e-dip shit and just like a fluorescent lit cinder block dorm like hitting the bluetooth button on their japanese dancing robot going like oh look it syncs the music meanwhile a quarter mil drone just crashes never to be seen from again <laughs> and, and someone at, at like battalion commands like i just got an idea for a new osprey <laughs> <laughs> what if we design the aircraft to crash what if that's the whole point <laughs> yeah you design it to crash and then it flies good as fuck god damn we figured this shit out boys <laughs> Yeah. One of my favorite military stories was about this, um, these two best friends. This is from a, another army buddy who uh, deployed to Afghanistan all the time. A guy I went to grad school with. And he had these two, two kids in his unit who joined together from high school. They were best friends, right? They did everything together. They were both married to their high school sweethearts. And they went on deployment to Afghanistan and it was an 18 month deployment. And at some point during there, they had hatched a plan. So when they came back, they moved into each other's houses and married each other's wives, and everyone was cool with it. <laughs> what? <laughs> like, I had seen people switch spouses in the Air Force, but it had always gone disastrously. But this one, everybody was like, yeah, no, that makes the most sense, and it worked out okay, apparently. So the only story I can think of is uh, a friend of mine uh, who's a lieutenant at the time met this girl in a bar in Anchorage, and he was he was like felt bad because she seemed really nice and she was cute and she was interested in him, but um she was missing fingers on her hand and she was like, Well, I'll tell you what happened to me and they were like having drinks and he was like, Well, you know, a few years ago a guy like basically beat me up and raped me and like left me out in the snow and I got frostbite and I had to lose my fingers. And Jesus. he was like, Okay, this is way too much for me, like military towns, et cetera. Like he's like, I feel bad though. He's like, She seems like a nice girl. And like, I don't want to like be mean to her, but like, obviously I'm just not interested in like, She seems like she's got a lot going on in her life and it's just too much. And he's just like, I don't know what to do about it. Like and he's like trying to be as gentlemanly as he can. And he mentions this to his platoon sergeant who has been in the army a long time and been in Alaska a long time. He's like, and he describes this girl. He's like, wait, sir, you're not talking about stubs, are you? Man, we all fuck stubs. I know who she is. Oh, gee. oh my God. <laughs> That was actually the main, a lot of people don't know this because they don't read, but that's actually what Pride and Prejudice is about. <laughs> Mr. Darcy says exactly that to Mr. Bingham. <laughs> oh, fuck. That's so fucking depressing. Yeah. So, like I said, I mean, everybody in America needs free education and free health care so they don't have to fucking be in the army because goddamn. Yeah. So uh, within the military, there's tons of insane, contradictory shit and... You have to find your humor where you can, um, largely because otherwise you'll go insane. So, what is what? Are, what is the most like insane thing or the something that happened that caused you to laugh the hardest while you were in? My sergeant major for my battalion during a training exercise at Fort Greely, Alaska, uh, got it through his head when a tow missile misfired on a range that we needed to that it's fine, it's not going to detonate just turn it in with the dunnage and he made soldiers go out on the range pick up this unexploded missile and put it in the truck with like the shell casings that were getting turned into the ammo point uh so they drove <laughs> they drove to fort wainwright to drop it off to the ammo supply point and they're like hold up why the fuck is there a tow missile and they're like oh yeah our sergeant major told us to drop it off 
<laughs> so they were like, this is literally an anti-tank missile. And it's armed. <laughs> it's real. It's live. It's not a dummy. And they had to call out, shut the whole facility down and call out EOD to fucking defuse this thing like it's like an IED in Iraq. And of course, everyone was furious. But then it was like, but what are we going to do? to like make this a teachable moment so we wound up having to like have ammo handling safety classes but everybody knew every they're like for the leaders so the leaders know how to handle ammo safely and we're like yeah but it was the sergeant major we all knew this was fucking stupid like why <laughs> we all knew it was a dumb idea like, you don't have to educate us educate him and uh but to spread the love we all had class but this is the same guy who very briefly, I'll tell this on the same training exercise was basically yelling at soldiers about like how to correctly fire a saw at M249 light machine gun. And he was talking about like he was he was weirdly kind of talking about like the round trajectory and the fact that like a bullet is parabolic and that, you know, the way that it flies uh, through the air. Um, but then he's like, he's like, well, I can save the look on your faces. I should probably just shut my cock garage and just show you what I'm talking about. And we're like. Sergeant Major, did you just call your own mouth a cock garage? That's <laughs> uh, a little bit of uh, uh, self-humor. You got to self-deprecate a little bit. Sounds like, for example, maybe uh, you, could exp you could think of uh, this Sergeant Major as having a cock garage for a mouth, if that helps you train better. I've never heard anybody call a mouth a cock garage before or after. Just that one time. It's, it's seared into my brain. It'll be the last thing I think about Here's before I die. Here's the thing that a lot of people don't realize about uh, being an officer. It's a lot like being a stand-up. You got to try out different riffs, you know, like your trainings are very much your clubs where you're, you're going to try out. How's the cock garage? Hey, wait, what if I call <laughs> my, my dick at the fucking mic mic? I don't know what it means. I'm just throwing it out there. Right. And that's how you get some great sayings, but they don't come from not experimentation. Do you think the man, do you think the man that invented nut to butt came out with that fully formed, like Athena from the head of Zeus? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, All right, so, so you, you, got one. you got one, yeah? Yeah, so mine was when I was in training. Uh, like I said, we trained with Marines all the time, and there was these, uh, these two kids. They were both 18. They had failed back into our class, so you get like two fails before they make you go do a different job. So they had failed into our class. They were like best friends. Um, they were both 18. And every Monday, you had to wear your blues uniform, which is your dress uniform in the Air Force, and you're required to wear a V-neck white T-shirt underneath. Right, it's very specific. Because you can't, so uh, what's rolls, the first rule of being an airman? You can't be an airman if you don't look like a douchebag. <laughs> While you're wearing your polyester fucking dress uniform, has to be a white v-neck underneath. So he rolled into class one day, and he had a normal crew neck t-shirt underneath. So he got yelled at for it. And he was like, oh, what am I going to do? And we're like, just walk back at lunch. or just Because every new person that saw him yelled at him. So it just became a whole day of people screaming at him for the same thing over and over again, which was very entertaining to the rest of us. And so he was like, at lunch, he's like, I got a plan. I'm going to do something about this. So he turns to his Marine buddy. And he's like, hey, you got your knife with you? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pulls out the knife and he holds the shirt out. He's going to cut the collar. So while he's wearing it, he pulls the shirt out in front of him and he starts hacking at it with one hand. Right. He's hacking at the collar. Oh, my God. And we're sitting and all of us were like, this is not a good idea, man. He was like, no, no, I got this hacking at the collar. And we're like, dude, you're going to hurt yourself. And the instructor walks in as he misses and just slices the other wrist open. And he slices it, goes, oh, fuck, slaps a hand on it. And that's when the instructor walked in the room. And you're just like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> oh, my God. He was fine. He was fine. But the we never, ever let him live that day. Can you imagine being that officer that's like, Sitting in a meeting <laughs> with a projector that's like, there's just a bullet point. It's the only bullet point on a fuchsia background. And it just says, like, we have a lot to learn from junior enlisted. And <laughs> whatever semblance of your soul just continues to decay into nothingness. Just a desiccated husk just waiting to be blown away by the right sigh. <laughs> so there was a there was a bar in Anchorage called uh, the Northern Lights. But all the enlisted soldiers. Wow, very to it creative as, bar owner. As... All the all the nor all the soldiers referred to it as fatties, and so when they kept having DUIs to the point where like it was becoming a problem for like the commanding officer at the whole base, they were like, "Okay, we're going to be doing courtesy patrol, and that way they can pick up soldiers and just give them free rides home." And there was literally like a translation sheet in brigade staff duty that says, "If soldiers call you asking for a ride from fatties, it's the Northern Lights Saloon at this address." And it's like, <laughs> legitimately, they legitimately have to have a cheat sheet for it. <laughs> and you know they called it fatties because in soldiers opinion there were so many fat chicks there 
I mean, oh you, yeah, you yeah. didn't need to explain that. I was enlisted. I already knew why. <laughs> hey, what's up? Me and my other specialist. Hey, thanks for picking us up. Me and my other specialist are trying to go get some of those gay donuts, and he checks the rubric, and he's like, "Croissant Bakery." All right, it'll be five minutes. <laughs> uh, enlisted are so cliche. I love that. The first time I got in a car with uh, two Marine kids or three Marines. Uh, mm. Whose fault is that? First of all. Yeah, yeah. So I got in this car. We were going off base in Biloxi. This is before oh, I had my car. Oh, with the me. proper Start nouns in this gone. sentence are great. Yes. Now that isn't by Diberville, is it? And just to skew to Gulfport, <laughs> yes, where you get some of the best gambling in the fucking Gulf Coast. <laughs> so we were actually going to the casino. Yeah, you were. And what else were you doing? <laughs> so I, I get in the car. They're driving off base. This is my like third week in Biloxi or fourth I week. I just had finally gotten off base privileges. We're sitting in the car and we're driving. And the first Marine is like, yeah, man, I'm going to get some fucking strange tonight. I don't care what she looks like. I just need to get fucked, baby. I just need some pussy. And it just five minute monologue about how he'll fuck anything. And that's all he's looking for. And I was just like, all right, that's I uh, love that the fucking enlisted Marine you were with was the Lord Byron of pussy. <laughs> and if you're thinking actually Lord Byron was the Lord Byron of pussy, I'd say study Lord Byron a bit more deeply, you dilettante. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then the second one he was like nah man i'm gonna get a fucking fight tonight yeah i don't know i don't know i'm gonna beat the shit out of somebody <laughs> bro i don't even give a fuck anyone could be my dad tonight <laughs> and and those those are the two marine genders the guy getting in the fight and the guy who just wants to fuck whatever he can <laughs> yeah i mean pretty much my experience with marines pretty similar no, yeah they're not their evolved form which is like holding half a bottle of aftershock uh over a couple shards of glass that used to be a bottle of jaeger with uh their their wrist crooked around the shaved head of their buddy leaned in squat like no man you know you're my fucking boy okay nothing <laughs> <laughs> but that's only if you get the thunderstone then they evolve <laughs> uh, you can also tell fun marine thing you can tell what rank they are by how jacked they are because it is they they genuinely the NCOs will take the lower enlisted to the gym. They absolutely share steroids among each other. I don't know if it's all of them. It's just all the ones I dealt with. And every every rank that gets big, they actually get bigger like it's a video game. So level thirty the, marine. The the math the, the <laughs> and they're all like gunnery sergeant, right? And the highest one is called Master Guns, which is the dopest name for a fucking title. Oh hell yeah. And the only master guns I ever saw was as wide as he was tall, and it was all muscle, and he was the most terrifying human being I've ever fucking seen. I will say that I, th I, I think the Navy has the coolest title, though, because there's a guy who works on the top of aircraft carriers on the deck, and his name is the Air Boss. And I don't know <laughs> what you have to do to be an Air Boss, but I personally would go back in the military if I could be one. <laughs> you think that, like, every single day, fucking... So, you know, people get rotated in and out. On the first day of rotation with like the new fucking sailors, do you think there's always someone that comes up to him like, well, I guess uh, you're the guy here, right? And he's like, yeah, I fucking know what's coming. Just do it. And he's like, well, I guess in a lot of ways you're the avatar, the last air boss. And just again, <laughs> he just thinks of his wife probably cheating on him thousands of miles away and the price of the fucking prostitutes in Djibouti. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, so uh, one of the guys I knew who was a Marine when he got off his first deployment, because you make a ton of money, he was lower enlisted, he's a fucking idiot with his money, and he had no debt, decided that to celebrate being off deployment, he was going to take a bunch of him and his buddies to Vietnam, and they were going to rent out an entire brothel and buy a shitload of coke, and that's just how they spent a weekend. You know, that sounds very dumb enlisted, but right now, as a, as a person awesome. in my early 30s with a shit ton of debt, uh, the day I am debt-free, like that uh, fucking airman was, I would probably also rent a brothel in Vietnam, buy coke for everyone, and, and let the Lord do his work. <laughs> That's what you'll get if Bernie ever fucking uh, forgives our that debt. That is explicitly yeah. part of his platform. Bernie, Bernie <laughs> wants wants to bring ethical cocaine to America so that you oh, too yeah. can feel like a Marine who's just off deployment. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. This is uh, Brett at Relentless Board with Rob at Dumb and Awful. 
and Nate from What a Hell of a Way to Die podcast. And he's at In These Deserts. Thanks for joining us, Nate. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for being on, Nate. Uh, for anybody else, we now do bonus episodes, which you can get if you subscribe to the Patreon. There's just one tier. Uh, hop in our Discord as well. There's a link in the show the notes. The last bonus episode had um, my favorite Polish joke and a story of me being the international number one player of UFC on Xbox during its release week. <laughs> so if that interests you, get the bonus episode. And check out the merch for What a Hell of a Way to Die when you uh, listen to one of their episodes because it is fucking incredible. That means a lot, guys. Thanks so much. That makes all my terrible experiments with Photoshop worthwhile. <laughs> it, it's genuinely incredible. That's how I heard about you guys. I saw one of your uh, mugs. Yeah, the merch is really, it's really, really good. I mean, it has not been popular amongst the like, you know, Joe Biden, Kamala fans in my office. <laughs> but you know what? Their fucking policies haven't been very popular with most of America. So in a way, I'm doing praxis when I fucking drink my Starbucks coffee <laughs> and waste everyone's time. Uh, all right. Thanks, y'all. Have a good one. <laughs>